Welcome to the GlobalPDX podcast. Just like many of you, we have settled into our virtual working world and are trying to stay positive, creative, and engaged during such challenging times. We are so excited to continue this podcast and provide connection, content, and to support to Oregon's hub of global changemakers. My name is Andrea Johnson. I'm the chair of the GlobalPDX Advisory Board and the Executive Director at Green Empowerment. In today's podcast, we are joined by Jennifer Martinez, Board of Directors at Repatriate Our Patriots. Repatriate Our Patriots is a nonprofit dedicated to bringing deported U.S. veterans back home and halting current deportations of U.S. veterans. Jennifer is a public affairs and policy candidate at PSU and is a sister of a deported veteran. Her full bio is available on the GlobalPDX.org website. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Andrea and Global PDX Group, thank you so much for having me and have, creating some space to talk about you know this issue of deported veterans. So uh, why don't you start by explaining to our audience the problem that your organization is trying to solve? Because I don't know if everybody's familiar with it. Absolutely. So the military has failed to uphold their promise of citizenship made to immigrant veterans. And promising citizenship in return for military service is a predatory practice that has consumed bodies and energies of non-citizen immigrants and in wars across the globe. And veterans that can mend on their own are discarded and virtually erased through deportation. So what our organization tries to do is remind government to uphold their end of the bargain by immediately repatriating veterans that have been deported and really preventing this from happening to another service member. We're sounding the alarm to expose the hypocrisy to the public and provide some support for veterans that that have been deported and are living through deportation right now. So for people that aren't familiar with this issue, can you define for us what repatriation is and help us really understand the scope of this issue? How many U.S. veterans does this potentially impact and maybe some definitions for us? Absolutely. So most people get a visceral reaction when they hear that veterans are deported. U.S. veterans are deported from our country. And so... You know, what's really interesting is that because these veterans are deported from a country they were willing to die for, we like to describe them as as living in exile. And so repatriation means bringing them home, bringing them back home for the country that, you know, they fought for. And the idea of repatriation should really only be a short-term solution to remedy the damage, right? Ultimately, our goal is that deportation should never be on the table for veterans. Just to give you a quick a, a feel for how many veterans are out there, the U.S. has no idea how many veterans it's deported. So we don't know. So based on some research on the modest end Folks are estimating that there are 3,000, in between 3,000 to 5,000 veterans currently deported across the globe. So, um, you know, this is not only veterans deported in Latin America, Mexico, but really all over the world. So, wow. I mean, that is just so surprising to hear, I think, especially in a country that um, really claims to be so patriotic and really value our military and especially service. And I think there's a lot of pride in our military service, no matter kind of where you sit on the political spectrum, often veterans, at least themselves as individuals, um, have a lot of respect. And so how does this happen? 
you know, explain kind of the process. How does this possibly happen to somebody who just served our country? Yeah. And there are a few things at play here and it is pretty complicated. It could get complicated, but uh, basically what, what ends up happening is that legal permanent residents, many people don't know that legal permanent residents and in some cases undocumented immigrants are allowed to join the military. And so recruiters are notorious for promising citizenship in exchange for military service. So many recruits take it as being inherent in their contract, right? That they're going to get naturalized, that they're going to get citizenship. And like you mentioned, this idea of serving your country is the ultimate dream, right, of, of some of these immigrant veterans, uh, or immigrant service members, right? This is that the the idea of, of reaching that American dream, being able to serve your country, like you said, it's patriotic. And so, you know, many, many folks are, are intrigued by that aspect. But unfortunately, what happens is after these young service members sign their paperwork, their naturalization is never actually processed or they find that it's a longer winded process. So that's the scenario at best, right? Their paperwork never gets processed. At worst, some people, some folks finish their boot camps and they're led to believe by their commanding officers that their oath of enlistment is automatically a naturalization oath as well. So does the U.S. military actually have the ability to grant citizenship? I mean, that kind of seems like potentially a... a not actually something the military is able to do, given my limited understanding of our citizenship process. Absolutely. And that's why we say it's a predatory promise, because the military doesn't have the ability to grant citizenship. There's actually a shared process by USCIS and already the Department of Defense. But in 2004, Congress also asked USCIS to share that same process with Homeland Security. And so we're talking about three agencies. And so the idea of naturalizing for veterans is so much more complicated and complex than for civilian folks just trying to naturalize and go through that process. So a lot of deported veterans kind of look at this process and are intimidated by it because it is an intimidating process. And so that is something that we think that should definitely change. We just heard a story today published in Real, in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, in southern Texas, about a Vietnam veteran who luckily it took him over 52 years to naturalize after his Vietnam service. He even won a Purple Heart. I mean, he, you know, based on those sacrifices that he made during the Vietnam War. And still, you, you know, you hear about this journey of veterans taking 50 years to naturalize. And that's just completely unacceptable. Definitely what we're arguing, what we're advocating is that as soon as a military service member enrolls and they finish boot camp, that should automatically mean citizenship. Wow. So, you know, this is so interesting to hear about just because I think we're not hearing about it that much. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of news right now. Um, but this feels to me like something that would be across political spectrums, right? That we would all want to support our U.S. veterans. So I'm assuming that once they are deported, they're also cut off from any potential veteran support, which is also a promise of serving. Absolutely. What's happening now is that these deported veterans are organizing in some places, um, not everywhere, not all, all across you know, the places that they've been deported to. And like you mentioned, um, they are cut off from a lot of those promises that come with military service. They are still eligible for benefits, but they need people to help them with that process because they're far away. And so that ability, that, that capacity for folks to help them through that process is still very limited. So, so how is it 
legally that, you know, are there laws that allow for this or don't allow for this or how is it allowed to happen? So what ends up happening is that once these service members, these veterans come home after serving overseas or doing their tour, you know, they're dealing with scars of war, really. And they're trying to mend on their own with little support. And so they might have run-ins with the law. And that's how many of these veterans have been deported is because they have some type of run-in with the law. And that's when they find out that they're not citizens. That's when they find out that, you know, their service was not automatic. Um, and so what the reason for this is because in 1996, um, under Clinton, our immigration process and system became more punitive. And so he enacted several reforms that increased the number of deportable crimes that even included really uh, mild criminal infractions. So uh, and that was through the Illegal Immigration Reform and Responsibility Act. And so what happens is that we have veterans uh, deported for a multitude of crimes ranging from a DUI, marijuana cells, very small crimes to some, some bigger ones, right? But regardless of the severity of the crime, we are, our organization, we firmly believe that it doesn't matter what crime the veteran committed. At the end of the day, service should mean citizenship and therefore deportation should never be on the table. For military service members. And Bush, even in 2001, passed an executive order to try to expedite the naturalization process, just going back to that conversation we had a little bit ago. And even Congress in 2004 enshrined some of uh, Bush's executive order into law. But unfortunately, the paperwork still gets... Um, you know, it gets lost in the process, in the shuffle, and a lot of veterans come out of their service still without their naturalization and their citizenship. And there's been a scathing report by the Government Accountability Office that was sent to Congress directly that made it clear that we've done a dismal job not only of keeping track of how many veterans are deported, but... We don't even know, right? We don't even follow our own instructions on how to handle military service members that are going through the immigration process. Wow. So I think to maybe bring this home for our listeners, it's a good time to maybe tell the story about Edwin. We had a chance to hear from Edwin directly, and and we're going to share a little bit of his story. And maybe you could introduce Edwin a little bit, and then we'll hear from him directly. Absolutely. So Edwin Salgado, he serves on our board and he's uh, my friend. We started the the deported veterans zine together and he served as a Marine in Iraq um, and he grew up in Santa Ana and his whole life basically. So he actually got recruited right out of high school. And when we he shared his story with me, he tells me that, you know, he saw another young man about his age in a, in a military uniform and that ignited his fire to serve. My name is Edwin Salgado. I'm 39 years old. Um, I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, I'm a combat veteran. I was deployed to Kuwait for um, Iraqi freedom and enduring freedom. I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school when I was 18. Um, I lived in the U.S. since age three up until I was deported four years ago. So I'm currently living in Tijuana, Mexico. Um, I have been deported for four years, and I am happy living here now. What does it feel like to be a deported veteran? It feels like... It feels like you're no longer wanted or needed by the country that you served. It feels like you're... You're no good anymore like 
you don't you don't have value anymore. Um, it feels like you're thrown out like a trash. Uh, here in Tijuana, I have basically set up my own. I've I've found my own doctors and stuff like that, and paid in my own pocket uh, to deal with my PTSD. Um, but I feel that the VA could do a lot more for so many veterans that are deported and living in other countries uh, outside of the U.S. And Edwin's story is what inspires me to keep advocating on behalf of deported veterans. So let's get personal for a little bit. How did you get involved in this issue? Are you a veteran yourself or somebody you know? I'm not a veteran. Um, and, you know, I, I'd like to think that I've been advocating since I was 11 years old, even if I didn't know it yet. Uh, my brother, he he joined the Army right out of high school. And after returning home, he was only about 20 years old, 22 years old, and he got into trouble and he got deported. So my brother is a deported veteran, currently living in Mexico still. And so you know, I have a personal connection with this. Um, and it hasn't really been to until now, my later years where I've just become a little more active in trying to support veterans. Um, you know, when my brother got deported, we didn't think it happened to anyone. We never knew it was on the table. We never knew that after military service, people could get deported. Um, you know, my parents are immigrants. I, you know, I was born here, but, um, you know, all of our family, we migrated here. And so when you think about military service, it, it makes you think of, of just reaching that dream, right? That idea, the, 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 you know, quintessential American uh, ideal, right? Uh, being patriotic, things like that. And so when we learned that, you know, we were all really proud of my brother and, and we were so happy for him. And, but when we learned that, you know, when he got in trouble, that that could actually deport him, um, we were just shocked. And to add insult to injury, my brother, after he, you know, was doing time, um, he actually got his N-400 to his citizenship naturalization paperwork. But at that point, um, you know, he was already doing time and he was already in the process of deportation. So that naturalization paperwork came a little too late for him. And, and that was just really disheartening because my brother did, he went through all the motions. My brother was willing, you know, to die for the country. And yeah, he, he got into trouble and he should be held accountable for it. But deportation is really like paying twice for your crime um, and, and deportation weighs, weighs on you in so many ways. It separates your, it separates you from your family. It separates you from any type of cultural connection and identity. And, and it's lonely and, and it's a long process. So when he got deported, where did he get deported to? If he was, you know, had lived in the U.S., you said most of, or almost all of his life. Like, where did he go if his family was here? Yeah. So my brother uh, moved here um, when he was, I mean, he could fit into the description of a dreamer. He was two years old when, when he moved here. And when ICE deports you, they just leave you at the Mexican border if you're from Mexico, if you're a citizen of Mexico. And so he was just thanked for his service and just, he was just dropped over in Tijuana. And so, you know, there was really this... Um, you know, he had been locked up. We had done time for like three, 
three, four years. And so then you're suddenly just on in on this border in Tijuana where you have no connection. You don't know anyone. My family's from central Mexico and that's where we still had family at. So he had to figure out a way from Tijuana uh, with the clothes on his back to make it all the way home, I guess, to central Mexico. And that was a journey. And thankfully, my, you know, my parents supported him however he could, but my parents are, you know, they were, they're farm workers. And so um, we didn't have a lot of money to support him. And it was a really difficult time. And um, ultimately, he had to live back, uh, you know, with my, my grandpa, which is, he's technically my uncle, but he's acted like a grandpa to all of us. And so, and you could only imagine uh, in central Mexico, you you don't you really don't have a lot of ties to U.S. You don't see the culture as much as you would on those border states and border cities. And so he was just completely cut off. And, and, it, and it was a hard process and it's still a process um, that it has a lot of ups and downs. And sometimes, um, you know, my, my brother's not doing too good and sometimes he's doing better. And how long ago was this? Just to give folks an idea, like how... How long ago is this? And he's still deported is what I'm hearing. Yeah, my brother got deported 15 years ago. And so it's been 15 years. Um, Still no, we don't see any ending in sight. So. Wow. So what would need to happen for this to change? So there are many bills currently sitting in Congress um, waiting for more sponsorships. Um, So. Honestly, we need federal law, right? Um, And this is what gets tricky. We think that the deportation of veterans is primarily a veteran issue, but then it gets caught up in our immigration system and it becomes really difficult to advocate for change. Um, And and like I mentioned to you, there's some bills currently on the floor that we need more co-sponsorships on. And... um, And some of those range from bringing veterans back home to at least providing more support. And so what needs to change, what we need for for this to actually uh, change from what's happening now is we need people to call their representatives. Um, (laughs) And we hate saying that because it's so difficult. Um, We are an organization, a small organization in St. Helens, Oregon, and it gets difficult to advocate across the country. And so... You know, veterans, what's so, I guess if there's any type of light in this, in this story is that veterans themselves with social media now are getting connected. They are advocating on their own behalf. So they're calling, they're calling representatives everywhere. They're, they're, you know, driving across country to talk to, uh, to people on the, on the campaign trail, right? And making sure that they commit to supporting veterans. And unfortunately, though, um, this has been something that tends to fall on party lines, even though we don't think it should, right? Um, it's it's a veteran issue. It's not an immigration issue. When it is a hard time, I mean, immigration obviously is such a hot um, button topic, I guess you'd say politically right now. And um, But if you could focus on it being a veterans issue, it should, I could see why that would be so frustrating <laughs> in, in your, for your organization as well as for the veterans that you're trying to support. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. And so what we're doing now, our organization is trying to create some consciousness, right? We're trying to reach out to people to to just realize, to acknowledge that we're actually doing this. So many people don't even know that this happens. And so, um, yeah, we want to implore people to to reach out to the representatives, um, you know, to ask them to co-sponsor those uh, those letters. And of course, uh, how else does this change is by being upfront, right? Making sure recruiters are are 
held accountable and transparent and are transparent about the process so that this doesn't happen again. So is this, I mean, this, you know, we've heard a few stories now that seem kind of like older stories, but this is a current issue as well with recruiting practices. Yeah. So there's been some recruitment practices like Yo Soy El Army, right? That has allowed, um, and I think Bush allowed the military to go into public schools, right? To recruit. And, you know, and on one aspect, if you ask any veteran, especially if they're deported, you know, they would serve again. But, you know, we need to be cautious of where we're doing the recruitment. And if we're doing recruitment in certain schools, in certain public schools, then we we just need to make sure people have options on, you know, on their list that military service is not the only option if they don't want to. So it's not something that's forced, but that if they do serve, that there is enough information of what, what are the steps for them to become a citizen if, if they needed to. And that they're not kind of falsely assuming that it's... It's a guarantee that they will be citizened. Exactly. Yeah. And I think um, and I think because um, the GAO report has created some type of uh, committee briefings, people are getting better. Um, recruiters kind of know that this is on the table, that this is something that's being talked about. So we do hope that there is improvement to that process in the future. So in that regard, maybe you could share any positive stories that have happened recently? Any successes um, with this fight? I mean, I know that 3,000 to 5,000 potentially is is quite a big number, but are there any kind of nuggets of hope or or positivity coming out of the work that you're seeing? Absolutely. So just a couple weeks ago or earlier this in September, early September, we had one veteran that was deported. His name is Frank de la Cruz, and he actually got to come back and naturalize the same day. So we had one veteran that, that, that was repatriated that same day, there's one more that might be coming. We're not sure yet. Don't know the full details, but so there might be another Frank um, that we'll get to. But just really quickly about Frank, um, he was born in Juarez, but was raised in El Paso. Also, you know, moved here when he was about two years old, one years old, and he enlisted in the U.S. Navy and was a legal permanent resident. Even served during the Persian Gulf War, and you know, he got into trouble because he got caught with the, you know, drinking and driving. And so he was deported to Mexico twice um, in in congregation. That was about 20 years of deportation to Mexico. And thanks to ACLU San Diego, they're doing a lot of great work. Uh, Jenny Pascarella helped De La Cruz file for citizenship uh, back in 2016. And the reason why he was able to come back after being deported The reason he was able to come back and naturalize was because in 2004, a U.S. Supreme Court decision in Florida made it so that driving while intoxicated is not one of the list of crimes that gets you deported. And so that's how he got a chance of uh, deportation. And what Jenny told us is that there are a lot of Franks out there, and it sounds like there might be one more veteran that will be repatriated soon as well, in addition to Frank. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to share about Repatriate Our Patriots before we sign off today? Yes, you could look at our website at repatriateourpatriots.org. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on IG and Twitter. And, you know, get involved. We're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for board members. So if you, uh, you know, are committed to this cause, be on our board. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being a global change maker and bringing this really important issue to our attention. Um, I hope that our listeners can just, you know, 
despite everything else going on, this is just another important issue for us to be aware of and, and to take action where we can. For those listening, um, we really appreciate you sticking with us during these challenging times. Globopedex is dedicated to keeping you connected and engaged. For resources from this podcast and more, check out our website. If you aren't already a Globopedex member, please consider joining our community. And feel free to email communications at Globopedex with any questions. Stay tuned for new episodes of our podcast and please share with fellow changemakers. This podcast is brought to you by GoalPX with special support from Ted Shera. Thank you so much for volunteering your expertise with us.